Hello everyone and a warm welcome to Ben Squared, an Investco podcast seeking to share insights on the major market events in just 10 minutes, a particularly ambitious target this week given the fast moving market news and of course the terrifying geopolitical events unfolding. Uh, a reminder that I'm Ben Gusteridge, resident host and director of Model Portfolios and I'm joined by our resident expert guest Ben Jones, our director of macro research. Ben, an even busier few, a few weeks for you than normal I suspect. How are you doing? And are you managing to process everything? Uh, with difficulty, Ben. Look, I mean, it's a, it's a complex world out there. It's moving incredibly fast. And, and all the best laid plans that we, that we have, obviously, are, are seeming to sort of fall by the wayside. I know two weeks ago, we sat here and said, we're going to talk about oil. And that's going to be the topic of, of debate for this podcast. And clearly, uh, events have other ideas. So, look, it's been incredibly busy, incredibly interesting as well. And actually brings up a lot of opportunities. But, yeah, but challenging, definitely. Yes. Well, I mean, as we say, lots to talk about and so much so that perhaps otherwise important events might be might be sort of eschewed on the basis of time here today. But uh, as investment professionals, our focus today will sort of centre on market action, particularly in the realm of higher bond yields, oil prices and the dollar and, and conclude with some comments on investment strategy. But before we hear from Ben Jones in particular, on these topics. I want to remind the audience this recording is intended for UK professional investors only, should not be considered as investment advice and that any capital invested is always capital at risk. And we also ask the audience to kindly hang on after the conversation's finished to hear some further important messages. Right, let's begin, uh, Ben, by reviewing, I think, what I think is the dominant market story over the past few weeks. That's the, the further moves higher in long term bond yields. And, uh, you know, applaud you, Ben, for anticipating this. Well done. I think despite growing commentary from the investment community about uh, bond yields reversing, they've continued to move higher in, in line with your projections. Uh, but anyway, Ben, I know this trend's been in place for a while. But it's certainly accelerated in September and into October. Uh, what do you think's driving uh, uh, bond yield moves? Uh, yeah, thanks, Ben. As I say, I've, I've been at this sort of view for a little bit of time now. Um, now, it'd be really nice to sit here and say, one-liner, this is why bond yields are moving higher, and then we can move on and talk about um, something else. But unfortunately, I think it's, or, or rather normally, I think, actually, the answer is very nuanced. There's a lot of narratives at the moment why bond yields are moving higher and why they potentially can continue to higher um, and they're sort of all pointing in the same direction so the first one i think is economic resilience um, we've had some significant data revisions if you look at the nipper data for example we saw um, income and consumption data was revised up um, a couple of weeks ago by the uh, bea um, now casts are pointing to better growth um, in the us we had the jobs report last week which again was um, surprised to the um, the upside um, and the manufacturing ism has been so for those people out there that will say, um, actually, we're heading um, immediately into recession, we're in recession. Actually, there are data out there that are pointing to more economic resilience at the moment. So that's sort of point number one. Point number two is um, the supply demand dynamics in the U.S. Treasury market at the moment as well. And obviously, we know that there is a lot of um, government issuance at the moment, so a lot of supply hitting the market. We've got QT taking place as well. Um, and against that backdrop, and this is really a longer term theme, you've had foreigners reducing their demand for um, treasuries um, as part of their reserves over recent years. So China, Japan, Saudi, for example, reducing the amount of um, of, of demand they have for treasury. So you've got this sort of supply demand slight imbalance there and other actors are having to take up the slack. 
And then you've got debates also about um, deficits as well and do they really matter and debt sustainability um, issues um, as well. Um, so that's been a sort of a, a bit of a core narrative um, over recent weeks as well. And again, those sort of three all point in the same sort of direction. That is to a bond market um, sell-off. Um, well, there are some other... Sorry, yeah, let, let, let's. Ex- sorry, I know that I'm sure there's, there's more to it. Let's explore a couple of those. Um, mm. You mean the, the idea that uh, foreigners are sort of dumping, uh, foreign investors are, are, are dumping treasuries. Mm. I mean, the with the dollar being so strong, that sort of counters that angle a little bit, don't you think? Well, and again, I think dumping is probably um, a, a strong word. It's more just a, a trend where you just don't have the buyers um, there anymore. So. Historically, what China would have done with its um, surpluses, it would have um, sort of recycled those into treasuries. But again, in, in this world where we've got heightened geopolitical tensions, a sort of multipolar world, um, many nations are saying, well, actually, you know, I don't want to hold U.S. assets if I'm at risk of, of sanctions and things like that. So if you look at the, um, the treasury holdings of places like China and indeed friendly nations like Japan, for example, um, they've been reducing over over quite a number of years or so. Now, that hasn't accelerated necessarily in um, in recent months or so, but it's, it's a trend that is, is certainly there. The thing that has more shifted is just the, the amount of issuance, the supply side. And, and again, that is projected based on the, the deficits that the US is running. That's projected to, to um, continue to expand and accelerate over the, um, the coming months and years. So, I mean, I guess that sort of raises the question about debt sustainability that you referred to Mm. in your uh, earlier Mm. comments and how that could contribute to higher bond yields. I mean, I just sort of struggle to believe that debt sustainability, it could be a real issue for for the US. I mean, what's your take? It's tricky. I mean, look, I, I don't think the U.S. is, is going to, to default. Um, the, the, the U.S. has many, many levers um, at, its, um, uh, at its disposal. And, and ultimately, it can push the Fed into monetizing the debt and essentially sort of printing money again to get back to the QE era. Um, I think the reason that it is becoming a debate and is a worry, though, is because if you look at debt to GDP ratio um, at the moment, um, it's around about 100 percent, just a little bit below, which is on a par with the level that we saw in the post. World War II um, period. Now, the level of debt isn't necessarily in and of itself an issue. The problem is servicing that um, that debt, as many households will know. You can take on a really big mortgage if interest rates are are next to zero. Unfortunately, the problem the US government has is that most of its debt is relatively short term. It has an average duration of around about five years. So the rate that it's paying on its debt is accelerating really quite quickly. Um, And in fact, depending on which measure of GDP you use, whether you use the year-on-year or the queue-on-queue annualized version, for example, you can make the case that the rate on um, government debt at the moment is now about to exceed the growth rate in nominal GDP. Now, if you've got the interest rate exceeding the growth rate in the economy, what that means is that that your interest payments are going to escalate very, very um, rapidly. Um, Interest payments already are for the U.S accelerating rapidly and are projected to um, be higher than the amount of money the U.S. government spends on defense, for example. So if you get into that sort of scenario, there is a problem then that the, um, the debt level can spiral really quite quickly. This happened in the 1980s when um, R was greater than, than G. You'll see R greater than G sort of um, put around in a lot of reports lately. Um, and debt levels, it did indeed grow quite significantly. They sort of doubled from 25% of GDP to near 50% of GDP during that decade. But 
those numbers that I just quoted there, 25 and 50 percent, they're a much, much lower starting point than we are today. So that's why I think people are concerned about debt sustainability issues and, and rightfully so. What I would say, though, is if you look at things like liquidity issues in the Treasury market at the moment, it's kind of fine. The, the auctions are, are getting away at, at the moment. So there isn't really a sort of buyer's strike um, at the moment. There might be different buyers coming in, be it pension funds, be it banks, um, for example. Um, but no buyer strike at the moment. So I think, look, it's a concern, these debt levels, um, but it's not necessarily something that is um, existential at the moment. OK, and, and you uh, referred to the jobs report earlier. Mm. I mean, clearly bond yields had moved uh, significantly higher in advance of that jobs report, which only came out last uh, Friday. But they were sort of, I guess, sort of blowout numbers um, mm. relative to expectations, revisions up of previous numbers. Uh, so does that mean... Like a hike is is sort of a, one more hike is a done deal or is there anything in there for the doves? And what, what's the market expecting? What are you expecting? So um, the market is kind of, kind of down the middle um, on uh, on hike or no hike um, at the next meeting. I think there probably will be um, another hike. I certainly would have said that um, at the end of last week. Um, the only risk to that view, I think, now is that events um, over the weekend um, perhaps might make people um, or make the Fed, sorry, um, a little bit more more cautious. Um, and there certainly is this debate at the moment about sort of where you get to in the short term and, and how long rates stay high and climb in the higher for, for longer type of cap. But at the moment, I would say I think we probably are going to see another hike from the Fed um, before the year is out. And I, but I mean, I guess we shouldn't sort of lose sight that job openings on, on average are sort of trending a bit lower. Wages w were a bit lower in that jobs report as well, weren't they? I mean, there is there is something for the doves to cling to other, other than the geopolitical uh, issues that we're about to talk about. Correct. Yes. I mean, if you look at a lot of the inflation numbers, they are still continuing to, to come lower. Um, certainly the, the housing costs, the rental costs, for example, they're going to come um, lower um, as well. You're right to point to the wage data in the jobs report as well. That's um, softened a little bit. So that's definitely something for the dogs to point to. Um, and to be honest, Ben, again, this is the um, the challenge. And, or actually, maybe the interesting thing about markets at the moment is that you can, there's a lot of data out there that are telling you quite different um, stories, be that when you look at the very, very big picture macro, picture or when you start to get down into the micro and looking at different countries or different sectors or different regions for example there's a lot of different um, stories going on and the the conclusion that I've come to and certainly the conclusion that um, a lot of my colleagues are coming to at the moment is what that does is that really sort of breeds opportunities in financial markets for um, hopefully active managers um, such as us um, it's a very very different environment to the one that we've lived through over the last 15 years where it's kind of central bank dominated you bought duration, you bought US, um, US equities, and there kind of wasn't a huge amount of differentiation. You didn't really have to do a lot. Right now, you need, need to be a little bit more nimble, a little bit more um, thoughtful, and, and kind of throw out post-GFC playbook. I think the, that playbook is um, needs to be rewritten and things are going to be a little bit different going forward. Okay, thanks, Ben. Now, um, we will pivot here to the these terrifying scenes we're seeing in, in Israel and, and Gaza. And uh, apologies mm -hmm. for any apparent ins insensitivities here as we sort of discuss this humanitarian sort of tragedy from an investment perspective. But uh, what, Ben, is the market impact here? And I guess more importantly, what is the potential for ongoing market mm. disruptions rather than sort of a, a default immediate market reaction? Yeah, it's, it's a really good point, Ben, because I think that the, sometimes people um, see these events and fall into two camps. It's either um, it's horrendous, it's terrible, and it's also terrible for, for markets. And 
clearly, as you said, the humanitarian angle is, is horrendous. Um, or sometimes people fall into the camp, well, okay, yes, again, it's terrible from a humanitarian perspective, but it has no bearing on markets whatsoever. Again, I kind of feel fall somewhere in the middle um, at the moment on the market um, impact. There are some elements of the market where um, events over the weekend will have relatively little bearing, and certainly not necessarily the bearing that one might expect. And we saw this yesterday in the price react in the reaction of U.S. equities, for example. U.S. equities moved higher, um, but I do think there are some market implications, and particularly on places like um, oil, for example. Now, again, two weeks ago, Ben, you and I finished our podcast and said, okay, in two weeks' time, we'll, we'll chat about the rise in oil prices and we'll look at the impact that, that has on financial markets and obviously events have sort of slightly kiboshed that but oil is still very important because although over the last um, week or so it had a 10% decline then it has rallied again in the last two sessions on the back of events over the last um, uh, over the weekend what is very clear generally is that um, conflicts um, disruptions in the Middle East do tend to lead to higher oil prices and I think if it is found that um, Iran had some big um, uh, uh, influence or actions or, or was, um, was involved in these Hamas attacks um, and action is taken against Iran, then what we could see is a lot of um, oil production potentially being taken out, supply being taken out from the market. At the moment, they produce around about 3 million barrels a day. So that could be quite a meaningful take out of, a, of an area of the market, which is already um, quite tight. And that could certainly put upward pressure on, on prices. And then obviously you have the ramifications of what that means for, for energy stocks and for um, the consumer, because we're, we're hitting our pocket when we're trying to fill up our cars, for example. That could exacerbate um, the recession. Um, oftentimes, in fact, what you do see is just before a recession, you see a spike in, in oil prices. And that's what triggers the, um, the consumer downturn. So there are, unfortunately, for, for many, many reasons, very, very sad echoes of the, the 1973 Yom Kippur War, almost exactly 50 years ago um, to, to the day. Um, and we saw what happened then with, with inflation. Now, again, I'm not predicting that we go back to double-digit inflation just yet. But I think for those people that sort of suggest that we've absolutely, definitely won the battle on inflation, this is just another signal that you know what well, things could change quite quite quickly, and we might not be out of the uh, out of the woods yet. And that then obviously complicates um, central banks' um, paths and decision making and, and, and job really. So uh, so no, this this does have implications for for markets. Okay, so the extent to which Iran is drawn into the conflict is certainly something we'll be watching, but I'm sure we'll all be doing that regardless of our investment uh, roles. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So Ben. Uh, with all of these complications, um, are there any sort of neat concluding thoughts you can offer on investment strategy? Well, I mean, the first one I would say is I think you need to be nimble and you do need to be more uh, differentiating in, in where you're getting your exposure um, at the moment. Um, from a, a broad sort of big picture macro perspective, I think that the trend in the dollar to move higher, that is still for me very much in place. Um, the, the, act, the things that we've seen over the last couple of weeks or so just reaffirm that view, that idea that you've got um, US resilience or US exceptionalism, you've got sort of these geopolitical concerns, well, that should allow the dollar to, to move higher. I think oil is going to continue to move higher as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see the $100 range uh, being hit relatively soon on the back of, of these actions as well. Um, the other one that we haven't really talked about a lot um, lately, but is also gold um, as well. It's an interesting one at the moment because gold has held up really, really well 
in 2023, even though real rates have been moving higher. That's very unusual. Um, and again, it comes back to this um, sort of um, supply demand sort of side in, in the treasury market and what are other central banks doing? Well, they're buying gold. And again, in a, a sort of geopolitical uncertainty environment, those safe haven assets tend to do, do relatively well. Gold also does well if we do get tipped into um, a recession as well. So I think that could be quite attractive. And obviously, the, the sort of kick on in the equity market for those areas is you probably you like energy stocks and you like um, metals and mines as well. Those are the two areas of the market that benefit from the sort of macro backdrop, but also have very resilient, very strong um, uh, balance sheets um, at the moment and are returning cash to shareholders. So I, I quite like those names uh, at the moment. So there's just a few tidbits. We could go into a lot more detail, but I'm sure that you're going to tell me we're already over time. <laughs> well, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's some uh, neatly surmised there, Ben, but I'm sure our audience uh, would either like to hear more about that or, or potentially even challenge you on, on some of that. So please do get in touch uh, either with uh, Ben or myself on LinkedIn. You can reach out to Ben on Twitter as well. And of course, as always, uh, you can just get in touch with your Investco relationship manager uh, and uh, we'll do our very best to get back to you uh, in an expedient fashion. But uh, other than that, you know, thanks very much to you, Ben, for all of those thoughts and, of course, to our audience uh, for listening. Before you go, please do listen to the following investment risks and information. Uh, the value of investments and any income will fluctuate. This may partly be the result of exchange rate fluctuations and investors may not get back the full amount invested. This podcast is intended for UK professional clients only and is not for consumer use. Views and opinions are based on current market conditions and are subject to change. This is marketing material and not financial advice is not intended as a recommendation to buy or sell any particular asset class security or strategy. Regulatory requirements that require impartiality of investment or investment strategy recommendations are therefore not applicable, nor are any prohibitions to trade before publication issued by Invesco Asset Management Limited, authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority.